Welcome to One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm not a Dr. Anna. I'm a mom and a therapist. And I'm a high school student and a daughter. Each week, we'll discuss relevant parenting topics. And we'll interview some fantastic guest experts. And leave you with practical tips and information. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. We actually are recording from separate locations today. We are. Something different. It's a boundary. (laughs) (laughs) We have a boundary of three miles between us? Yeah. Way to introduce (laughs) our next episode. Thanks. We're going to talk about relationships, how to set healthy boundaries, and we have a fantastic guest expert today. Her name is Faith. Doolin, and she is the owner of a private practice called Harmony Psychotherapy. She's located in Charlotte. And one of the things when I was looking over her website that I just loved is she said, I've been on a continuing journey of recognizing and unlearning all the stupid shit that's had me running in circles. I've been digging through past experiences and realizing the messages I internalized about myself and the world are not even true. Sweet freedom. So she's very wise. Yeah, it sounds very like realistic, I guess you could say. To like say those kinds of things, she's not trying to be up, oh, what do you do? You mean because she has like a casual style on her website? Yeah, I'm excited. In real life, she's very personable and easy to get into conversation with. And even though obviously I've never seen her actually in a session, I can imagine she's fantastic. Definitely. Well, stay tuned and please enjoy Faith Doolin. Faith Doolin is here with us today. She is the owner of Harmony Psychotherapy located here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she's here with us to talk about healthy relationships, establishing boundaries, I really want to reflect on all different types of relationships because our audience is parents, but we're also raising children. So it's like, okay, well, what can we do as parents to set healthy boundaries in our own lives as parents? Because we often get pulled in opposite directions, but then what can we do to role model for our children and to guide our children towards setting healthy boundaries for themselves within their own lives. So I really look forward to this discussion with you. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I am writing a book about all this right now. And so I am knee deep in verbiage and research. (laughs) And so this is my jam. This is my bag. I'm excited to talk about it. So good. I'm so glad. Well, I guess what I want to do is just start off kind of establishing some core information that we can use to kind of launch this conversation. So maybe just start off by explaining to us what are boundaries? That's a great question. Um, And Anna, if I can put you on the spot, what would your guess be? What are boundaries? I think boundaries are just things that you kind of put up either like in a imaginative or like real way, but just to kind of distribute between what's good and what's bad or over the line and just making sure that it's all healthy and normal and safe. 
That was awesome. <laughs> That's pretty spot on. Yeah. So how I like to sort of conceptualize it in an imaginary way, kind of like what you said, Anna, is if you were to draw a circle, everything inside the circle is within your control and responsibility. And everything outside of the circle is not within your control and responsibility. And that circle is your boundary. What are some examples of things that we might have within that circle? So within your circle, the things that are within your control and responsibility, that would include your feelings, your decisions, your actions, your reactions, anything that's within your control and responsibility. And then what are some examples of things that would not be within our control? Other people's feelings, <laughs> actions, reactions, decisions, thoughts, wants, needs. That's really helpful to just kind of separate those out and recognize that as people, we're going to get the most bang out of our buck when we're focusing on the things that are within our control. Absolutely. That's definitely a common refrain that I have for a lot of the parents I work with, but particularly parents who are going through a separation or divorce, for them to figure out, okay, what is it in this circumstance that you can control as a parent who is not in the same home with your co-parent? Because sometimes, especially in the beginning days, it's like, you know, they feel just very mentally scattered and they're trying to have a say or control things that they really aren't able to, and that can lead to feelings of helplessness and frustration and animosity and resentment towards their co-parent. So oftentimes we can kind of shift that when we focus on what it is that they can actually control. Thinking about these different kinds of boundaries, I'd love to hear more about some real practical ways to think about boundaries or ways that people can set boundaries. Absolutely. So Sometimes we think, what are healthy boundaries? What are unhealthy boundaries? Good boundaries are balance. It's a synonymous word I sort of like to use to conceptualize these boundaries. It means mutual respect for yourself and others. Unhealthy boundaries, an example would be being nice, and I say that in air quotes, being nice to someone else at the expense of yourself. So let me give an example. Um, Anna, I'll use you for my example. <laughs> Let's say you had a super tough day and you get home and you're emotionally drained. Have you ever had that feeling? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, good boundaries, recognizing what's within your circle of control and responsibility, which in this case is your energy level, your mood, your ability to self-soothe and care for yourself. So recognizing that maybe you go to a quiet place, you start searching on your phone for like a Zen playlist, and then a friend starts blowing your phone up with rapid fire texts. She's mad about something, she wants to vent, and here you have a choice. So what would you ladies think would be an example of having good boundaries in this situation versus a poor boundary. I would just say, like, I've had a horrible day. Like, I totally want to be there for you, but I just can't right now, and I want to be at my best to be able to help you and contribute my advice, but I just can't right now. I have too much on my plate, and I've had a long day. But then I would just hope that they'd understand and not be like, ah, what? 
I've had a long day too, and you can't even listen to what I have to say. That's what I'd be nervous about. But see, I, I think I would be more passive about it. I think I would shoot him a text and say something like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. This sounds so stressful. Um, let me wrap up a few things, and I'll call you first thing in the morning." I don't know that I would do a lot of explaining, but I would want to acknowledge that they're reaching out to me. But I, I tell my husband the phrase I use is I'm not equipped, which means like just in this moment, I'm not equipped to have this conversation or do this thing. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to be later, but at this exact moment, I'm not equipped. I love that. I am not equipped. I love that. And Anna, I loved what you said. Um, and if you're okay with it, I want to kind of play that out. So let's say you say what you offered, which was awesome. And then mm-hmm. let's say she's not in a place, maybe she's not equipped <laughs> to be respectful of the boundary that you're trying to set. So let's say she says, I've had a long day too. And like, I really need to talk to you. Like, what do you do then? I don't know. I think, oh, I'd be, I'd be the talk to them. I'd be like, mom, what do I do? <laughs> Or I'd either like give me a second to probably I'd probably do what you did and just like take a break, give me like half an hour or so to like finish up what I'm doing and then I'll talk to you or something. I don't know. So you might end up giving in. I, might. I feel like I would give it. I think I would. I'd be like, oh, they really need me and I can do this for them. Mm-hmm. And if they're really pressing this hard, it must be really important. Yeah. So that might suggest I wouldn't have as strong of boundaries as maybe I should. Well, this is great. You know, everything that you ladies are talking about is exactly the situation that I've been in. It's exactly the feelings I've had. And I know it's been the same for my clients because we want to help and we want to be there for our friends and we want to be nice and supportive. And we hope that they would be that for us as well. So I don't want to present um, the following options as if what you ladies shared was wrong per se, because I think there's a continuum of possible choices that you have in such a situation. When someone is in an anxious state or they're upset and they kind of want to pull you into that and share that with you and unload and kind of offload that negative energy, your circle of control and responsibility is your energy levels and what you allow to permeate that circle, right? And so if you're tapped out, you know, if you're not available, like what Tara was saying, it's okay to not even respond right then, right? Because her rapid fire texting you, she honestly doesn't know that you've had a long day. She doesn't know where you're at and that's not her responsibility but it is yours. And so you have an option here to not even respond right away. Maybe you listen to your Zen playlist for 30 minutes and then you text her and say, Hey, what's up? Both of you had answers where you did respond right away. And so since we're sort of picking this example apart, just for the purposes of illustration, that can mean sometimes that you're taking on other people's emotions to solve right? She's in a place of angst and upset and emotional disruption, and you are taking on responsibility to fix that, to soothe that, to be there for them and help them out. And when you're already tapped out, if you immediately shove your stuff to the side to be there for someone else, 
that's what I mean by sort of being nice at the expense of yourself. When instead we can have the mutual respect of taking care of your needs and supporting our friends. Sometimes I will have this conversation with myself where, okay, so let's say that happens. And with me, it's more likely to be like a client than it is to be a friend. I'll say, okay, like this mental conversation I'll have with myself, part of taking care of myself, am I going to be better able to take care of myself if I express this boundary of like, I'm sorry you're going through this. Like that's part of my personality to show empathy, but this is what I can offer you, you know, versus staying quiet. And then me feeling like a higher sense of stress because now there's this additional layer of, I haven't responded. And I don't know, like sometimes I feel like it calms me down and allows me to then focus back on myself when I've just said, okay, I'm here. This is, when I can check back in with you. And it's like a little commitment to myself if I'm like, all right, I'll be able to call you back after three. And then I know I don't have to call them till at least three. So I've put that there versus thinking, oh my goodness, what if it is more serious? Or what if they think I'm unprofessional? Or, you know, then I feel like I can stay in more a a state of distress. Those are excellent points, you know? And so, um, Like I was saying before, that's a great choice and a great option. Um, The boundary system is not a hard and fast rule that applies to all scenarios and all people. It's hopefully just a guide that can help you decide which choice is best suitable for the person and the situation that you're currently in. However, I would like to challenge you and sort of reflect on the motivation. So, The choice that you make and the end result is not necessarily what I would be looking at here. It would be what is your process and what's your motivation for wanting to respond and give her a time to expect a conversation with you. Sometimes people can do that to reduce their own anxiety that they're feeling because they are responding to the demand or the invitation from someone else, which means you're bringing into your circle. You're saying, I'm gonna take this on with you and I'm going to be responsible for helping you manage your emotions. And that can sometimes backfire because we don't really have any control over someone else's emotions. Let's say that you do text back right then and you say, I've had a super long day, I wanna be there for you, I'll call you at three o'clock. And then maybe she texts back a sob emoji, (laughs) right? I mean, so we tried to short-term solution and avoid that anxiety instead of focusing on honoring ourselves and what I need right now. And that can often backfire. Now it's kind of like, okay, well, how upset is she? Our focus has completely shifted at that point, right? We're trying to assess for her emotional state And in doing that, we're taking on responsibility for it instead of thinking, oh, my friend's reaching out. It seems that they need support. I'm not capable right now. I'm not available. What's the phrase you used, Tara? That was good. I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped. Right. I'm not equipped. And so that's honoring yourself and them. You know, you listen to your 30-minute playlist, then you text her or call and check in. Hey, how's it going? And if you're having anxiety about people pleasing and taking care of other folks, you may even say, 
oh, hey, I just saw this, or hey, I, I was tapped out too. So all that explaining and justifying means that you owe her a response for you deciding what's best for your time. And it means that you owe her an explanation for you handling your own responsibilities within your boundary, which is your emotional state. Yeah, I can see that a lot of times people feel like if they're setting a boundary or just any kind of limit that they have to give a really good reason for it. And I feel like the older I get, the better I am about feeling any kind of need to justify a decision. And a lot of it is like, I am able to recognize that I'm a really smart, capable person who makes good decisions. So if I need to alter something, I know that it's a good decision and I have that confidence in myself. And I feel like that can be conveyed with the same degree of being calm and being just appropriately assertive. And I don't feel the need to over-explain. And I can't say that always is the case, but I feel like most of the time I get it right. Absolutely. And so another choice you would have in the hypothetical friend tech situation could be, hey, I'll call you in an hour. You know, Mm -hmm. just like that. You don't have to explain, you know, I'm tapped out too. And this is what I need to do for myself. (laughs) You know, you, you can be assertive, you know, and state your intentions without having this belabored exchange of justifying your decision and actions, which sort of opens the door, especially for people that are boundary pushers to challenge that, right? You know, to write write back and say, but I really need you. It'll only take five minutes, you know? And now they're negotiating mm-hmm. your boundaries with you. I loved your example, Tara, about clients because that comes up for me a lot as well. It just happened yesterday. Um, I had back-to-back sessions scheduled and in between two of my sessions, I have a few quick minutes, you know, to use the restroom or check messages on my phone to see if anything's on fire. So I checked voicemails and a lady had contacted me and she wanted me to call her back and see if I could help her out. So I I noted to myself, okay, I'll need to call her back when I have a few minutes to see what's up. And I went through my next couple sessions and I kept seeing my phone going off So at another break, I checked and I was like, man, it seems like something's going on. And it was the same number. And she just kept calling. And I was immediately filled with anxiety. My people pleasing tendencies told me, just call her back. Something must be really wrong. (laughs) You know, I started to take on her sense of urgency. I'm taking on her timeline. I'm considering superseding her timeline onto my timeline and my responsibilities. I even went so far as to imagine, well, what if I call her and then she starts getting into her situation and it takes more than the three minutes I have before my next client is here. And I thought, well, you know, hopefully they would understand. They would see that I'm stuck on the phone and they would just give me a few minutes. And then I caught myself. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) My boundaries are defined according to my personal values and what's within my control and responsibility. And so my job is to take care of my clients that have scheduled this time with me. And I evaluated it and decided it would be disrespectful of me to use my client's time that's scheduled to call this person back. So 
What do you think I did after that, Anna? Do you want to take a guess? I'm guessing that you just called them later and just made time later in the day after your scheduled clients had their turn and then called the lady back. Well, I love your high opinion of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do try to uphold a standard of getting back to people within 24 hours. Last night, I didn't get home until 8.30 p.m., and so I didn't think it would be a good time for them or me to have a discussion. So I contacted her back uh, this morning, but I definitely dealt with feelings of, oh, no, if I don't call her back during my break, is she going to be mad? Um, You know, is she going to be like, this person doesn't care about Mm -hmm. helping people? Yeah. I totally get that. I've had, like, when you go back to the friend situation where they've contacted me and then I later contact after, like, sometimes I just don't respond. Like, I'm not best at responding to people. And then, like, I realize, like, after a few times with me, like, not if answering right away, they, like, start to not come to me and not to, like, talk to me as much because, like, I'm not responsive and not responsive to them. So, I don't know. Yeah, you have to figure out how to get to the sweet spot where you feel connected with your friends and you have a give and take, but it's got to feel good. I remember when I was in college, I was doing this, was training as a teacher at the time and I was student teaching and I had this other um, woman that I worked with and she was in the same position. She was a student, she was student teaching and she was, Hat was dating somebody who was like way older than her and it was like filled with drama And it basically got to the point where she would call me every night and like rehash what was going on with this guy. And she wanted me to listen. And she, she was very open to like, if I had a suggestion or advice, but after a while I was like, Oh, I'm just like being used. Like this isn't a give and take friendship. Like she has no idea what's going on with my life. Like she's got all of this drama going on and she wants sort of a vessel to put it into so that she can, free up her herself emotionally to, to go on to the next day of drama with this guy. And um, I know it didn't hurt my feelings because I don't think she intended for it to be a negative experience, but I was like, oh, this isn't a good choice for me to be doing this. And so kind of I had to change how I responded to her to just not be caught up in that snare. And I remember really understanding what had happened, like that I had contributed to that dynamic, but it was also within my ability to get out of it. Some great morsels there, you know, Um, you had great intentions, you wanted to be supportive to your friend, and there was a lack of balance. Remember, I talked about boundaries being balanced, and so the balance is between being there for others and being there for yourself, and you realized that that friendship wasn't feeling reciprocal. She wasn't also asking how you were doing. It seemed more like a parasitic relationship where she was gaining all of the benefit and you were doing a lot of the work. Not only did you end up feeling a little bit resentful of that dynamic, which allowed you to experience the discomfort that supported a change, Mm -hmm. but you may have enabled her to stay in a conflictual situation because she got to call you and dump every night rather than sitting in her own discomfort that supported a change. 
Absolutely. Today's episode of One Day You'll Thank Me has been sponsored by Sparent. Need more time? Of course you do. Sparent is on a mission to help ambitious, overwhelmed women reclaim their time. Their virtual assistants are stay-at-home moms with a laundry list of skills to spare. Your Sparent will happily tackle your to-do list and give you back time to spend in more fulfilling ways. Visit them at www.sparent.co to book a discovery call. Mention this podcast and get one free Sparent hour with a purchase of at least five hours. Yeah, I know that um, there's times when I work with these families who are going through the high conflict divorce, and there might be a really unhealthy dynamic between, you know, these ex-partners, and they will start to try to mirror that same sort of communication with me. I've been doing this long enough that I feel like I identify it really early. It's, you know, I'm very mindful about how I communicate back, and if they try to put their emotions on me or drag me into their thought process that isn't healthy. Or sometimes I'll have, for example, let's say it's a, it's a mom and a dad, and let's say the mom views that the dad has used really unhealthy, manipulative, controlling language. And then he'll, let's say, say something like that towards me in a session, and I handle it. But then later on, she'll be like, well, why didn't you handle it this way? Like, she's not reflecting. She's kind of like, well, why didn't you, um, you know, scream back at him or something like that? Like, she expects whatever she typically does to be the thing that I do. And so I'm in this position where I have to be really mindful about how I respond to that type of communication from him because it's an opportunity to role model for her. And then also too, it's just, you know, not my journey. This isn't a pattern I have any desire to be part of, nor is, would it be appropriate. But there's times when there can be like, you know, one of the partners is like indignant that I didn't just immediately go into that same pattern. Yeah, great insight and work there. You know, you're right. If you were to engage that, right, you would be allowing that dysfunctional dynamic to permeate your circle, which would sabotage your ability to support them in an effective way. Yeah, that's true. This is really helpful to be talking about real life experiences or real life examples. I feel like we're in a therapy session. This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that when I think of parents, some boundaries that mothers in particular have a really hard time establishing is boundaries with their time. And I feel like we hear about that a lot of people getting overextended, not really prioritizing the activities that are beneficial to their own well-being. But I also see more and more where parents have a hard time setting boundaries with their kids. And I'm going to give an example that seems really small, but I, I, I find it kind of represents a broader relationship dynamic is kids who like touch and use their parents' things and don't have any respect for it. And we have one of these situations in our house where we have all these pets, so we always use those drink glasses that have like a lid and a straw because you know otherwise the pets will just like drink out of it so I always am the one who I fill up a big thing it's got ice in it's got the straw my husband does it too and he always has a big one next to him but my two kids not Anna oh yeah Anna (laughs) 100% 
But like, they don't even bother to get their own drink. Like, it's not even like they got theirs, they drank it, and then they took a sip of mine. Like, it's a communal cup. Yeah. And everybody's responsible for filling it. So it's not like it's, I'm waiting on everybody. But it's just kind of understood that like this property is their property. They don't <laughs> ask. They just use it. It's just right on the end table. And so every time I walk past, I'm just like, Ooh, yeah, take a sip. But they would never like go through my drawers or go into my purse or um, touch my computer or my phone or anything like that. I have it's, one of those. You and Dylan always take the brush out of my room. That's true. And do. you have like a million brushes. I know, but the walk is further. But you always take it. And so like three days this week, I had no brush and I couldn't find it. And so like it was a mess. But yeah. So we have a struggle with that boundary, but you don't do it with your stepdad. No. Well, he doesn't take my brush. No, but you don't take his water. No, I don't. And with some parents, like let's say the parents who have little or kids where they'll shove stuff off their mom's lap and then climb up into their mom's lap. Or they're constantly like leaning on them or pulling on their shirt or touching their earrings. And um, there's times when dads will be very defensive because they can see that mom is getting really worn out or they just feel like it's, it's rude and it's poor manners for that child to take mom's computer and push it off the couch so that they can sit next to mom. And so that's something like I've just lately paid more attention to. And I was noticing it in several clients who had smaller children where the mom was just super worn out by it. But then I was like, wait a second. What about this communal cup where sometimes I'm like, get your own glass. And they're like, I just have one more sip. And then they put it down. So it's like turned into a joke kind of, but I don't know, but it's just a small thing. But I feel like parents can do that over and over and over with their kids till they're at a point where they're just kind of fatigued all the time. Absolutely. And I liked what you were sharing too, Anna. Um, why is it that you don't do that with your stepdad? I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's a little bit more protective of his water. I don't know. Yeah, I think he would be like... We've also just gotten to the habit of doing it, so... You mean like before Pete was here? I mean, maybe. We didn't have much of those cups, but... I don't know. I feel like we've always just drink it after each other. Like, you'll do that with Dylan's milk. Like, you guys will, like, drink the same milk. Like, the other day we had, like, some kind of soda, and you drank half of his soda and then filled it back up and gave it to him. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I'm not any better. I'm sure I role modeled it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, But I have been better about keeping this boundary where the kids both, they're with me week on, week off. So when it's especially towards the end of the week when they're going to transition back to their dads. They're very like interested in my attention or they'll be like, watch this show with me or whatever, your brother in particular. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like time for bed, you know? And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Like I want to go to bed. And he's like, but watch this thing with me, do this thing with me. And so I always would feel guilty of like, I'm not going to see him for a week. Like I'm going to be able to go to bed whatever time I want to when they're gone. But lately, I'm just like, no, I'm going to bed. Like, if you want to have this time with me, we need to push it earlier. And I feel like I've been more assertive about the boundary of like, no, I'm protecting my sleep. Like, if this is a time that I'm having a hard time enjoying with you, because I'm being like coerced into it, like from motherly guilt, like this doesn't really work for me. And so lately, I've just been like, either we do it earlier, or we pass and wait and do it another night. And I feel like over time, you guys are better about not taking that personally. Yeah. 
no one will always want to like talk and like go on these long lengthy conversations when they're always at night. And so I feel like you've always been good at like, no, we're not doing this. Like, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> no, it's really been more recently. Before that, I would get, you have to admit, there's been times you're like, let's talk about my future. And it's like, yeah, one that's true. <laughs> We'll come into my room at like 1230 and be like, so what are you doing? That's true. <laughs> it's really goes we're back just, and forth. Hmm. We're learning a lot here. <laughs> I love what you said, Tara, and that's a perfect example of like boundaries and balance, right? You're not saying, no, I don't want to spend time with you. You're saying, I have needs and I recognize your needs. And so how can we share this responsibility and work together to meet both of our needs? Yeah. And I really liked what Anna said, you know, when I asked her why she doesn't do that with her stepdad, you know, I think she hit the nail on the head. You know, she said, um, maybe he's a little more protective of his water. And so if we train other people how to treat us by what we reinforce, she has understood that there's a boundary and that there would be a consequence and that it's not as welcome for her to do that with him, even without him potentially having to sit down and have this discussion about it. Yeah, that's true. I've also, as a parent, never been okay with the kids sleeping in the bed with me. Mm -hmm. So that was something like, they don't even sit in the bed with me. It's not like they would come in to my bed, read a story, and then go to their own beds. Like, coming into my bed was just never an invitation. And so I feel like that's a boundary that, you know, I often see parents have a hard time. It's sort of claiming their their sleeping area. And it's like, sometimes it's, if they're happy about it. That's what feels good to them. And other times they're like, Oh, these kids are in my bed. I'm awake half the night. I'm getting kicked in the face, but they don't know how to, to kind of claim that space back when they're worried that their kids are going to have like some momentary discomfort from them claiming that space. And then it just turns into something that goes on for years or there's conflict between the parents because one parent, will tolerate it even if they don't like it and the other parents like over it and would rather sleep on the couch. So true. So I guess I want to talk a little bit more about some of the emotional boundaries that people can have. I feel like there's boundaries like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, have you encroach on my time that I have for my self-care or like me for the bedtime or my stuff. But what about some of the emotional boundaries that people really need to establish in order to be healthy? Uh, great question. And so I think we touched on this a little bit with the friend texting hypothetical scenario and not taking on your friend's emotions to be responsible for and taking on their expectations and timeline. Um, another example we could look at maybe between a parent and child could be, let's say, your teen doesn't do their assigned chore that day. So you can bust in their room and yell and say, you're pissing me off <laughs> as a tactic to motivate them, which is more manipulative, really. <laughs> but in this instance, the parent is neglecting their boundary of being responsible for their own emotions, actions, and reactions. And they're hoping to share that frustration and think that it will motivate the teen to do better which is actually ineffective because you're training the teen to respond to other people's anger and demands. To violate your own emotional boundaries and take care of other people's feelings and make them 
happy and do what they can to avoid their anger. Instead, you could calmly say, I'm disappointed you didn't take out the trash. Can you do it now, please? This is using an I statement to own your feelings and communicate an expectation. Now let's say that the teen responds by saying, you make me do everything around here. I can't even sit in my room and chill for one second without you barking orders. So you can take on their feelings by defending yourself and explaining expectations that they're very familiar with. <laughs> or you can acknowledge their feelings by saying, I'm sorry you feel that way. I still need you to take out the trash. So that's an example of an emotional boundary where we are creating space for the teen to have emotions and we are also as a parent responsible for our emotional regulation. Yeah, I think um, how I relate to that is when parents get into a dynamic with their kid where they're always yelling, their kid won't respond until they're yelling. And so I have to explain to parents like your yelling is what's cueing them. It's not that you're asked you know, you're not in a partnership as far as like, hey, let's get these chores done. And they're sort of deaf until the anger in your voice is so high or so intense that they now feel compelled to take some sort of action. And that's just a really tough dynamic to be in. And it really gets cyclical. You know, it kind of goes deeper and deeper and deeper into that dynamic. And it's really hard on everyone. Everybody's in a constant state of stress. One parent's yelling, the other kid's defending. And then it usually switches the other way. Well, why do I have to be the one to take out the trash? You know, you're the grown up, but this is your house. Or, you know, they'll say something like that. And then now the parent has to defend, well, yes, it is my house. I understand that, but you live here too. And, you know, and it just turns into like this really almost childish interaction back and forth. Then the family's in a constant state of stress. Absolutely. And as a parent, you want to communicate expectations and then support your teen in maintaining their responsibility of fulfilling those expectations and you want to support your teen in having accountability but if you chastise them in an angry way then you're telling them don't do what you need to do until i'm mad <laughs> until then you can get away with avoiding it and that sabotages the core principle that you want to instill in your kids where these are the expectations. It's up to you to meet them. You can have whatever feeling you want to have about them. I will hear you. You still need to comply with expectations in the home. It sabotages their potential for self-management, responsibility, and taking initiative if you train them unintentionally to only respond and comply when you have an emotional demonstration. Mm -hmm. I think that we can undermine kids' sense of competence when we get into that dynamic where there's a lot of yelling or kids um, start to tell themselves that somehow, like, this is unlucky or I'm unlucky, this is unfair, she's being mean to me and things like that versus setting an expectation that's reasonable and then holding them to that expectation. And there's a lot of times when kids push back where parents immediately start to question whether or not they have reasonable expectations. So then they kind of waver back and forth, you know, is this unreasonable? Are they too stressed to take on this chore or to, you know, meet this responsibility? And so then they can send a very ambivalent message to the child 
So then it just kind of further deepens that dynamic. One of the things I do when I work with parents is basically give them some permission to set these expectations, you know, like, you know, I'm very informed on what might be developmentally appropriate for that child. And most of the time, like 95% of the time, parents also have a great instinct for what's appropriate, but they don't necessarily have the confidence to follow through. And then when that message is conveyed to the kid, the kid might be, well, I don't know that I can do this. So it just turns into a really tough situation. Absolutely. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about a private Facebook group that I just created. It's called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide, a support group for high school parents. Parents or caregivers of high schoolers or soon-to-be high schoolers are encouraged to join. We'll be sharing educational resources, supporting each other as we survive the roller coaster of parenting a high schooler, and offering a shoulder to cry on when it all gets too stressful. Search for us on Facebook to listen, learn, and join the discussion. Anna, I've been putting you on the spot (laughs) and giving you a lot of pop quizzes, but you're very wise and intelligent. So it's just reinforcing that I should continue doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wondered what your thoughts would be, Anna. Do you know of any parent-child relationships among your friends, maybe, where there's a lack of boundaries? Well, I did have a friend, and he would tell me about their arguments between his parents and him, and they would always seem to go into this, like, extreme, and he said, like, they'd be cussing each other out, and we would be like, yelling and slamming doors, and I'm, like, horrified. It's never happened to me. I'm just, like, how did it even get out of hand? Like, something must have happened. Like, what is going on with that? It just seemed really, really extreme, and kind of scary. Yeah, it was really intense. Absolutely. You really captured it there. Um, The emotional enmeshment can occur when there's a continual pattern of one person in the relationship sharing their emotional experiences with someone else that's not part of the problem or the solution. So your example, Anna, is spot on where there's potential for emotional enmeshment. If two adults that are married are having fights and then one of them goes to their child and says, man, your dad's really making me mad. He hurt my feelings. He was screaming at me. You know, that's inappropriate. The child then feels bad. The child feels like they need to pick sides on who to support. It's two adult parents trying to pull a child into their conflict when the child is not capable of helping them in any way because it's not within his circle of control and responsibility at all. So that would be an example of this emotional enmeshment where there's a loss of respect or a balance between connection and autonomy. Anna, you said that the friend that you knew, he was probably pretty stressed out, you know, because he can't fix it. He can certainly subconsciously violate his own boundary because he may not know better and it's his mom and he cares about his mom and so he might try to get involved 
by pulling their stuff into his circle, but it will not be effective. Do you see that enmeshment issue occur between parent and child when they have that more friendship dynamic versus the parent having a more parental role, maybe a little bit more authority figure, and the child being asked to only do what is appropriate for their developmental age? Absolutely. Emotional enmeshment can take a couple different forms. Um, The example that you shared, Anna, that seems to be a clear situation where it's unfavorable, but you may also know other people where there's a parent and a child and maybe they seem like best friends. You know, they do everything together and they share clothes with each other and they share a lot of personal information with one another. That can look appealing on the surface, sort of like a Gilmore Girls type of thing, but in actuality, if there is a loss of respect between connection, autonomy, and that balance, the child ends up feeling responsible to provide an adult friendship with their mother, with their parent. It might seem fun at first that the mom is less authoritarian and more friendly, but it opens up avenues for the child to attempt to use that to their advantage because obviously they have their own interests. It also puts the burden of the mom's emotional needs, and I'm just defaulting to a mom for this hypothetical. It puts the burden of the mom's emotional needs on the child, and the child can't possibly meet that, nor should they be prioritizing the parent's needs over their own. They have plenty of their own emotional regulation needs to worry about as a teen or a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that when the child views the mom as being like that they're friends is the role modeling that the mother is doing is even more significant. So it's like, you know, mom, let's say talks about the drama she has with a boyfriend or talks about the financial concern she has or whatever. And now the kid is seeing how mom copes because she's totally in mom's mind as far as, you know, every thought she's having about it. And then they get involved with somebody and they kind of repeat that pattern and they feel justified in doing so because, you know, mom's doing it and, and like, you know, we're the same. And so this is what makes sense. And I just, I find that to be a really difficult dynamic to shift out of because there's times when the child just doesn't respect their mom at that point because they've been led into the world where they're seeing all their mother's mistakes. You know, there's kind of a permissive parenting style that's been adopted at that point. So then if you have a parent who's kind of like, no, let me set this limit. You can't stay out that late or you may not go out with that guy who's four years older than you. Then they're like, what the heck? Why are you, why are you saying this to me right now? Like, who are you? to set this rule when we've never done this before. Absolutely. Great example. Do you think we're enmeshed, Anna? What? Do you think we're enmeshed where we're too friendly with each other? I don't know. I don't think so. No, I told you we're not going to be friends to your old. Okay. I don't really know how to respond to that. (laughs) Well, you know, I always want you to feel like you're being parented. I capable person. Like I have friends. I don't need you to be 
taking care of my emotional needs. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get that, yeah. I was like, we can't be friends? <laughs> what? You're, just kinda like, you're like, I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> then why are you borrowing my hairbrush every day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, gosh, this is such a great conversation, and I, I do want to be mindful of time. Um, okay, so if you had to give a couple final tips on, you know, just some some juicy takeaways that we can we can leave here with, what would you what would you highlight, Faith? So sometimes people struggle with setting emotional boundaries because, like you were saying, Anna, you want to support your friend when she's upset. And it's a struggle sometimes to find that balance of getting the support that you need and providing it for your friends. And so when someone's in an emotional place and you really care about them, it can be helpful to think of it this way. We can respond to their emotions, but we're not responsible for them. So I loved the examples that we discussed earlier where you had some great ideas about hey, um, I'm going to call you in 30 minutes, or I've had a super long day, but I want to be there for you. Um, I'm going to call you in about an hour, you know, sort of responding to it, but not taking responsibility for it. I'm going to repeat that to myself. I'm not responsible for your emotions. Yes. Side note, it comes up in uh, couples counseling quite a bit, you know, um, the husband or something will say, oh, okay, so I don't have to care if my wife's mad. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I said. <laughs> um, definitely, it's appropriate to respond in relationships to other people's emotions when you care about them. But there is a difference between responding and feeling responsible for them. And that's kind of where that boundary line can come in. So one way um, parents can support their kids in having healthy boundaries is maybe even asking them where their boundary is. So if your child comes to you and is struggling with a situation or a relationship dynamic, kind of asking them, well, what's in your circle and what's outside of your circle? What's within your control and responsibility and what's not? That applies a lot of times to kids who come home and are talking about a conflict with a peer. And I know with my own kids, you know, I always want to hear about it. I want to hear their perspective. But as far as what the next steps are, I really feel like I want to collaborate with them on. So it's like, well, is this something we want to bring to the attention of a teacher? Is this something that you can go back to your peer and approach it this way? And they do know that there's some times where it's outside of their control. Like this is a situation that as a parent, I need to make sure that I am caring for you appropriately, even if you're uncomfortable how I'm handling it. But there's a lot of times where that discussion can be really communicative and kind of problem solving together. And so we can talk about like, what feels right to you here? Like, where do you feel a sense of control? Where do you feel like, pride and how you're going to move forward. And there's, there's choices there that they can investigate. And that type of conversation, especially with your, with your brother, Anna, has always been really helpful because he might initially come with like kind of all these emotions, like this made me feel bad, or this was frustrating. And then, you know, we can talk about like, is this a situation where we're just sort of processing your emotions? Like we're just kind of coping 
or is there sort of an action step that can be taken here? And, but I want that action step to be something that feels like empowering to him because I want him to be able to come back and either do that again in another situation, or at least feel like if he comes to me, I'm not going to just take it out of his hands and handle it and have him think, Oh, I wish I hadn't told her she made it worse. I love that Tara. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not just helping him with the situation. You're helping him establish a life skill. I do want to ask you a little bit about your work with your clients. Now, tell me about the clients that you see. Is, is, it, is it teens? Is it women? Is it like, what is, what is an ideal client look like for you? I do work with couples. That's my training. However, lots of times individuals come to me for services and their interpersonal relationships comes up. And so my systemic training can be helpful in understanding those dynamics. I work with typically high functioning females, recovering people pleasers. I work with a lot of men who struggle with being assertive um, and sometimes struggle with not being aggressive. Um, Sometimes their partner gives them feedback that they're angry and they have trouble articulating or having emotional awareness before something becomes a conflict. So I help with that. And then it's really fun for me, but I love working with teens. I typically end up working with teenagers that are like kind of little adults, (laughs) like ahead of their time or, um, a lot of times have um, difficult parent-child relationships in the sense that maybe there is some enmeshment um, and they're struggling with that. So I love talking with young girls and talking about empowerment and boundaries and assertion, and um, that's exciting for me. Well, you seem very good at it, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. Well, If anyone out there who's listening today has questions and would like to reach out to Faith Doolin, please make sure to check out her website, which is Harmony Psychotherapy, and she's located in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think this is probably a topic that we could revisit at some point or kind of expand on it, because I think that especially with parents who are raising teens, I know that one of our primary stress points is thinking about whether or not we're our teens to grow up and be in healthy relationships. And if you're a parent who, like myself, I've been divorced and I think, okay, you know, what have I role modeled for them? Is there something that I need to make sure that they're getting to be a healthy adult? And sometimes the therapist can really support that and support the work of the parents. So we appreciate what you do, Faith. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tara and Anna, for having me today. This has been so cool to chat with you. All right. Bye, Faith. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for being with us today. Yeah, great meeting you. Man, that was a great episode. I know. She's so smart and personable. I love her. Definitely. Well, we're winding down our episode for today. So everyone stay tuned for new episodes that come out every Wednesday. We are wrapping up season two. So we've only got a couple episodes left. Yay! Season two is almost over, and as my mom said, 
Stay tuned for more episodes and leave us a review. Love you, Mom. Love you too, sweetie. Hey, listeners, please join our free parenting webinar series. It's offered each Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please visit www.drtaraegan.com to register via Zoom. Each webinar will offer a 15 to 20 minute presentation hosted by me, followed by a 30 minute question and answer session. If you can't join us live, you'll be sent the recording directly to your email so you can watch it later at your convenience. Join our Facebook page at Dr. Tara Egan to get details about topics we'll be discussing in upcoming webinars. This is my chance to meet you, so please register today.